Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Well, welcome to another episode of Tales of Mythic Adventure. I'm Jeff. And I'm Mob. Hi, everyone. And today, we don't have any special guests lined up. Instead, we thought we would be talking about uh, what we all are working on, or at least some of the projects that we're working on, or maybe just whatever comes to our mind and sounds interesting to us. Well, I think you're special, Jeff, anyway. So oh, thank you. Thank you. There you go. We also have our uh, producer, Rob, in the background. How are you going this morning, Rob? Not bad, not bad. It is very early in the morning in Blackburn South. but uh, yeah. Yes, because as, as you know, this is an international podcast, Producer Rob and I, we're here in Melbourne, Australia, where it's a a charming six o'clock in the morning. And Jeff, I'm here in Berlin, Germany, where it is dark and eight o'clock at night. So we we sit down at our microphones and and I sit down and relax with a uh, a cup of hot black espresso coffee to get me going. And what are you relaxing with, Jeff? Oh, I'm I'm relaxing with a nice glass of red wine from southern Italy, from Puglia. Oh, very good. And I, I, I hate to ask, what are you relaxing with, Producer Rob? Oh, I'm having a, a nice carafe of um, plastic bottle vodka, uh, drunk straight from the uh, straight from the Smirnoff bottle. Uh, so if, if, if you hear a thump later in the episode, that'll be my foreign hitting the keys. Uh, no, no, actually, sorry, for, for people who know me, that actually might sound credible. So no, I'm, I'm joining you in a cup of coffee, Bob. Yes. Oh, very good. So, uh, Jeff, I have been following with absolute fascination and interest over, I think, the last, uh, is it 29, 29 installments, the Gloranthan webcomic that you've been uh, instrumental in producing, Prince of Sata. Is it 29 we're up to now, or is it maybe 30? 31. 31. 31. And actually, uh, we've got... Number 32, I'm, I was just working on it earlier today with Kayla. So uh, this is a a project that you're working on with uh, a very talented artist by the name of Kaylin. Cal- Callan Kadif, or Kadif. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually sure entirely on, on, on the proper uh, Bulgarian pronunciation of it, but he is an extraordinarily talented young artist from Bulgaria who has managed to get the look and feel of uh, Glorantha in all of its magnificent Bronze Age weirdness better than just about any artist ever has. So this is another example of the uh, international nature of the world of Glorantha. So you're working with an artist in Bulgaria and how how did you come across Kalen? Uh, he did some Gloranthan pictures that he had posted to a um, uh, an art blog called Deviant Art, and mm-hmm. it had gotten onto our Google Plus site. And I really liked the style. I thought it it what I really loved about it was it was very, it's very stylized, but it has a tremendous amount of Gloranthan detail to it. And um, we asked him if he would be interested in potentially doing a comic book with us. I asked him to 
uh, do some initial pictures, uh, some concept pieces for uh, a youthful art graph and uh, also for uh, an Israelian noblewoman, Samastina of Deleos. And we loved it. And so he uh, started this up, um, gosh, it was early last year, I think, that we started at it. And have been plugging away with a, a comic book on, or a, a new page on average every, initially it was about every two weeks. And now we're about, we're up to a, a new page every week. A page a week. Wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Oh yeah. And, and, and a lot of these images are really, really hideously complex and he gets a week to do them. Uh, yeah. So, I'm, I'm faintly amazed by that, can I just say? Because, um, yeah, again, the, the weirdness is turned up to 12. So, so nothing in his previous career would have trained him for this. Uh, well, he did do, I think he was, um, if I recall, he was trained as an animator. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, so certainly he's had the training to do pieces. But I mean, I don't think that the the animation schools anywhere train you to do floating god's eyes that or uh, blue skin sorcerers or um, uh, mystic uh, warrior goddesses or or, <laughs> well, or some well, what, of the other. Yeah, and what else it also has, and I think this is something that you can really get into with the webcomic, is um, a lot of the illustrations have far, far deeper symbolism, don't they, Jeff? You can actually analyse yes. individual portions of it and, and go very deep, shall we say. Uh, yes, and one of the things that I really love about our fans is they do. Uh, and, and a lot of the times it's, it, it, we get a chuckle because a lot of, sometimes the very vocal, uh, fan theories are, are almost missing the point, but then, then we get really impressed that somebody just picks up out of the blue some of the really, um, what we thought was really hidden symbolism in it. So for example, in, uh, in, in this week, or it might've been last week's, uh, comic, um, it's now, uh, in the holy country and the, uh, the, the leaders of each of the, uh, provinces are meeting Belantar, the ruler, aren't they? The, the god yes, king. Yes, that's, that's the opening of the chapter called The White Bear. Yeah. And, uh, someone I know pointed out, uh, a very weird piece of symbolism. There was a, a very small chain, wasn't there, at the bottom of the picture of Belantar that's very significant? Yes, there is. Uh, and no, I'm not sure if anybody, I mean, there's, this is discussed on, on quite a few different, uh, web pages. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure if this has been spotted or people have spotted it, but I have not necessarily figured out what it is. That is, um, the, if you look at it carefully, yep. you can see that it's got the shape of the movement room. And what that is, is that is the uh, an incarnation or a spirit or whatever we want to call whatever you want to call it, of freedom or change. Uh, 
uh, and it's one of the powers from uh, that that Belantar defeated and enslaved from uh, Hjortland, which is the area inhabited by the ancestors of the Sardarites. And it's the sort of thing you've got to enslave and chain if you're going to be an immortal god-king ruler. And it's a big part of the reason why the Sardarites and, um, and some of the other Orlanthi are so vehemently opposed to Belantar, who otherwise, you know, a lot of people comment, boy, you know, Belantar actually kind of seems to be a pretty nice guy. Yeah. But, you know, if you value change and freedom as a concept, uh, then, you know, maybe you wouldn't be so thrilled about it being enslaved to the service of an immortal entity. Yeah. It, and this is all given away in just a, a tiny little corner of, uh, of a panel. Yes. And, and, you and, know, possibly may come out in uh, greater detail later, but it's there to start with. Oh, and there's actually other stuff. There's an interesting little red streak on that same panel. I don't know if you're looking oh, at Oh, I did see. I did see that uh, someone had made that comment. And it just, it looks like just a little splash of red, doesn't it? And it, it will be what is all that about? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a... It'll be of significance later on in this chapter. And that's one of the things that we love doing about this is uh, I spend most of the time because I do the writing of it and say, OK, this is this is what you know, this is what this page is going to depict. And a lot of what the time that I, I uh, spend writing this is trying to figure out, uh, um, you know, what are the, the sorts of symbolic details that we want to have in this? Yeah. And I think that that just gives it a, a whole more interesting dimension. And I noticed that each of the uh, pages of the comment even have, uh, you know, the comments, the, the the back and forth for each page. So so people reading it can actually pose questions or 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 write things about what they've seen. And and you're actually active on there too. Yeah, I'll occasionally jump in. Most of the time, I mean, my general philosophy about this stuff is I love encouraging speculation and theories and having people draw things together. And unless somebody is, somebody's uh, theory is just so wildly off base, um, I'm neither going to confirm nor deny. You know, occasionally if somebody asks, says something, says, oh, this is such and such, and it just really isn't such and such, then I'll jump on and say, no, it isn't. Um, on the other hand, Jeff, um, and I, this has certainly come up with, with things that I've created over the years, sometimes you get uh, you know fans, readers, people that have been looking at it, who come up with ideas that are actually even cooler than you thought of in the first place. Oh, oh sh <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, we never... Uh, we never change our interpretation of what we've done based on a cooler <laughs> idea from other people. Never, 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 that never happens. No, you've Boy, got it all, haven't silly. you? That's all in this very secret uh, document, this secret Bible you have, and, and nothing's changed, and it's all yeah, immutable. The, what yeah. It, yeah, it's the secret Bible that Greg, uh, Greg wrote and then handed it over in absolute secrecy to me uh, of everything. Every everything detailed everywhere within the setting. Catalogued, indexed in alphabetical order. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Far beyond what we wrote in the Guide to Glorantha. It's all there. Yeah. Now, in, 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 in truth, I hate to spoil anybody's um, uh, unbelievably high estimation for Greg and I and you and other writers. But usually what we do is we've got, you know, a good feel for how the, the setting works. And if you're writing a story, you have a good idea of what, you know, the overall plot arcs are and some of the really detailed plot arcs. But in truth, a lot of the stuff doesn't get developed and thought through until you actually have to write something where it needs to be developed or thought through. That's just part of the writing process, as, as I believe you're familiar with. Yeah, and I think the great thing about Glorantha is to say, in many respects, a shared and collaborative space where you can bring other people on board and, and get, uh, get ideas to, to make it even richer and more interesting. Oh, absolutely. It's not, um, although Greg likes to say he was the first person who discovered it. And, um, and then I would have to say probably Sandy and I are the second most prolific uh, prolific explorers of the setting. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of other people as well. You um, you certainly with uh, uh, Sun County and Prax and um, and with uh, Casino Town coming up. Uh, we've got Nick Brook who did a huge amount of of the thought through of the Lunar Empire and Carmania. We have um, uh, uh, Harold Smith. We've got David Dunham. We've got Ken Rolston. We've had um, Steve Perrin way back in the early days. Uh, Janelle Jackways. I mean, just an awful lot of people have contributed to the setting over the years. Oh, yeah, and we, we probably could keep naming names for a, a long time. Um, and that also goes down to... Uh, People that have kept uh, things moving along. I think a key person to mention there would be David Hall, who was the uh, uh, editor and creator of the fanzine Tales of the Reaching Moon from the 1990s. In fact, I should be I should be flogged and 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 hung to dry on the tree of woe and suffering for forgetting David. That's just embarrassing. Yeah, because that that more or less when uh, when 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 Glorantha and RuneQuest really didn't have much being published at a professional level, this was something that kept things going, and that was of course done back in the days when uh, really the internet wasn't there to sustain uh, sustain things as well. So we're in a, we're in a much richer time now, and I mean think about this: you couldn't have done, for example, um, a comic in the same sort of way in the 90s or even maybe even in the early 2000s could you jeff oh no way i mean um uh a lot of the material that we do now we do uh with me in berlin uh we've got you know a, a artist in bulgaria or an artist in the czech republic uh, who by the way i understand jeff You've never actually met Kalen face to face, have you? No, I never have. I was very much looking forward to uh, Eternal Con this year, where he is one of the guests of honor. Okay. Uh, oh, and uh, and yeah. just to tell our listeners who may not know, what, where and what is Eternal Con, Jeff? 
Oh, EternalCon is an annual convention in a castle on the Rhine River, surrounded by vineyards, uh, in one of the most picturesque and beautiful locations in Germany. Uh, it is ludicrously on... picturesque, actually. Oh, uh, Chocolate yes. box picturesque. There is a castle on average every five miles. Uh, and it's, um, it's actually where the term robber baron comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, because, what was that, Rob? Sorry, that implies that back in the day it might have been very picturesque, but also very horrible. Yeah, because every five miles you had a castle and, uh, and a shakedown. Some, <laughs> and a shakedown, because this is an area where, you know, the Rhine River runs through this canyon, the, the Rhine Gorge. And there, you can't really go overland easily there. So all the traffic, uh, going from the south of Germany, uh, to the north of Germany and then onto the Red Sea had to go through this, uh, gorge. And every five miles, there was a castle with a, a lord and his thugs and they would do a shakedown and you would have to pay a toll at every five miles. And there's even and that uh, one just up from uh, Bacharach, isn't there? There's that one that's in the middle of the river, the famous yeah, one there's that's an, uh, like a ship. There, yeah, there's an uh, there's one on an island. Uh, actually, there are two on islands. There's the uh, the Mouse Tower, which is uh, also one of the most disturbing little um, medieval horror stories. Uh, and it's a story of the evil... It was the... the the home of the evil bishop, uh, who I think his name was Hanno, and this evil bishop was horribly abusive and cruel to the villagers of, of Bingen and Mainz and the surrounding the surrounding territories. And um, he, I, I, I think he burnt a bunch of the villagers alive, and and he started getting chased around by mice. And so uh, he fled to he fled this this plague of mice to his tower on the river, and the mice swam across the river Rhine into the tower. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of mice uh, chased him down to the, t- the the tower and ate him alive. Charm. It sounds very Game of Thrones, actually, doesn't it? It yes, yes. So uh, I, there's it, there's with, a lot of that stuff in the area. Except with mice instead of direwolves. Yes. Well, you know there were budgetary restrictions in those days. So um, another great thing about Eternal Con, I, I've been a number of times, and uh, I remember once I was uh, probably the first time I was there, and I, I wasn't quite used to this, having been to lots of academic conferences. I was about to stand up to give my. Uh, presentation or uh, I was one of the uh, one of the guests and I, I was about to stand up and give my give my big talk and one of the organizers said stop 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 you are not properly prepared and I'm thinking what on earth have I done wrong and then he handed me a bottle of beer <laughs> and I looked at everyone yeah. in the audience had a bottle of beer so it was only appropriate that the presenter had one too and I thought wow I like this convention it's a it's a wonderful convention. It's about 150 people. Um, it, it's got unlike most um, 
unlike most convent uh, gaming conventions, it has a a pretty um, uh, equal balance of the genders, uh, and it's also a very kid friendly uh, convention. There's uh, I think there's about forty uh, kids that are signed up for the convention, and out of 150 people, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and of course, it's in a castle. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so at this one, uh, yeah, Kalen will be there. Also, Jan Pospenzil, uh, who is the other awesome artist who I have met, uh, who did uh, uh, so much of those beautiful color plates. In the Guide to Glorantha, yeah, wow. And in other publications. And yeah. is he another artist you've never actually met face to face? Oh before? no, no, I've I've met Yan. Oh, you have. Okay. And where's he's, he from? He's he's in the Czech Republic, which mm-hmm. of course is not very far. Right. So it'll be great to meet Kalen and uh, see him in the flesh. So, Jeff, just tell us a bit. What is the process? If if you've only got a week of turnaround time, that seems awfully short to be producing such a richly detailed and, uh, well, glorious-looking webcomic. How how do you make that work? What I do is, at the beginning of a series, uh, I will send off four, five, or six pages of of direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And then... As he gets through that, then I'll come up with additional ideas. And I'll, I'll, I'll again, there'll be many, many, many pages of, of this art direction. I'm actually going to pull up a little bit of one of these. Okay. I think that would be just kind of neat. So it'll say something like, um, okay, this is from the, the page that is currently up. Okay, hold it up to the microphone, Jeff, so everyone can <laughs> okay, so hear it. Okay. Go to go to www.princeofsartar.com uh, and and go through. Probably you'll have to go back a page or two, um, but you'll be able to figure this out. First panel, scene: Belantar's court. His advisors are confused and frightened. Text bubble: The troll or Zaburi speaks. Immortal Belantar, we do not understand. The destroyer returns. Second panel, scene. I described the scene. Again, put another text panel. Uh, and I do this for each of the panels, uh, mm-hmm. and this is kind of the, the, the first rough of, of how it's going to look. And then Kaylin comes back and says, you know, that many panels looks kind of stupid. Why don't we, why don't we combine, uh, panels three and four so that we can have a more expansive picture? And then he sends me a concept sketch and I say, oh, that looks awesome because Pretty much, well, every time he suggests something, it's cooler than what my idea was. And uh, then he comes in with additional questions like, uh, uh, what should the prowl um, that I, I described that, that it's got a wolf's head prowl on the front of these ships. What should that look like? And we bounce back and forth and, and come up with some concept sketches very, very quickly, and if something looks stupid or lame, we just kick it away and abandon it. So they, they, I think there was some discussion on the Google Plus forum of, well, why don't why don't the prow of the wolf pirate ships have wolves on them? Why is it this, um, you know, why does it look more like a, a Viking dragon's head 
Okay. And it's because the first, we did some concept sketches of it, and they look stupid. Okay. And, you know, there's sometimes there's things that sound cooler on paper when they're words than when you actually draw a sketch. And that happens a lot. Uh, there was another one of uh, why doesn't Carrick the Berserk's polar bear cloak have a lower jaw? Because it looks stupid. <laughs> yeah. Concept art. Yeah, because then it looks like a guy in a, uh, a lame bear suit that you could get from a costume hire place. Yeah. And so I wrote down a description of something. I had a mental image of it. and But then when we actually tried to draw that mental image, guess what? It looks stupid. Yeah. And it's so... it's a bit like, I think in, you know, uh, I can't remember which Lord of the Rings movie it was that... Uh, Lady Galadriel's in her swan-shaped boat, and that yeah. that 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 sounded more evocative to read about it than actually to see, you know, a big cheesy fake swan. Yeah, it, it, because you'll be writing something, and you'll have a strong mental image of how cool something uh, sounds when you or or is going to be when you're writing it down, and it ends up looking. Um, absolutely wretched. Yeah. And and that's just part of the process because writing something down is a different exercise than drawing something. And and, and the best example to me is you, you remember the the description of uh, Kukulain or Kukulain, uh when he goes into his warp spasm in the in the Tain. No, the, the Irish hero. Uh, he, his one eye recedes in, um, uh, into his head and recedes in, so he has only one eye, and his, uh, knees, his muscles in his legs grow so strong that the, that his kneecaps reverse and are on the other side, and, uh, a spout of blood comes, um, off the top of his head. And blah, 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 blah. You know, all this huge uh, poetic imagery. And it sounds really cool in a poem. But every picture I've ever seen of that just looks dorky. He looks like, you know, one of those little troll dolls with one eye. Uh, (laughs) It's probably where the troll dolls came from, actually. (laughs) Very well, maybe. And again, this is is the issue of of, um, different mediums end up with different results. Yeah. So, uh, Kalen doesn't actually get a pen out, does he? He uses a computer to do this. Yeah, and actually, I, I, the vast majority of artists that I work with do not use pen and paper anymore. Uh-huh. I mean, it's sort of a sad thing, but on the other hand, it makes revisions a lot easier, and it makes it a lot easier to, to you know, change the picture and make sure the quality of the... Um, uh, the picture, um, but it also must make it extraordinarily faster too. Uh, it makes it significantly faster, very much significantly faster. So uh, uh, even so, Jeff, I'm still I'm still kind of gobsmacked and amazed on this weak turnaround. And is that because um, that creates a sense of urgency to do it? If you made it longer, it possibly wouldn't be as effective and as uh, as easy to do. I have found over the years that the longer the time you give to produce something, 
the longer it takes you and the less likely you are to meet the deadline. Uh -huh. You are much more likely to meet a deadline that is less than a month away than a deadline that is six months away. Sure. Um, even if even if it's the same amount of work. Jeff, did you did you have any backlog of pages when you started publishing? I had written in my little black book the first chapter. Okay. When we started. So I uh and when we first put the comic up, I think we had eight pages already done. Okay, so if you'd um, if it, if it had all failed at that point, um, there would only have been eight pages. There would have been eight pages, uh, and at, back then it took on average about two weeks or a little more than two weeks to do a, pan, a page. Mm -hmm. And we're we're getting it quicker and quicker. But on the other hand, as we get quicker and quicker with the process, uh, I slow things down by making more and more complicated uh, panel requirements. So if you look at the the City of Wonders, that was a very complicated panel. Right. Because you have this really, really detailed um, uh, uh, picture in the background uh, of the City of Wonders that uh, I'm, I were, we were impressed that some people were convinced that uh, we actually drew out the whole city and wanted to have a see a picture of what we had done without the boxes, uh, <laughs> the other panels within it. And we were sort of sad. It was sort of sad to have to ruin people's illusion and say, well, you know, we, we didn't fill in those areas. You mean there's nothing under those squares? <laughs> there's nothing under those squares. Oh dear, all. dear, dear, dear. So, <laughs> so your your drawing as your source material, uh, the stuff that uh, Greg had written in the book King of Sartar. What is the process of taking something that is written on the page into something uh, done as a as a, in a visual medium? I, I have to. Admit at this point, I've done so much work with that material that I don't really refer anymore uh, to King of Sartar for this because uh, you know we redid this, re we redid large portions of King of Sartar recently mm -hmm. uh, for the new version of King of Sartar that'll be coming out very soon, and. Uh, and as a result, I'm very, very familiar with the story, and I have lots of notes on top of what's in there. So what I do is I take the notes that I have uh, and then put them aside and then think, okay, I want to introduce this. What would be a good way to introduce this character? Mm -hmm. And so what we, what I, I had this idea that I um, in the last chapter, I want to introduce the character Jar Eel. And, and present her on her own terms, what would be a good way of doing this? Well, why not show um, how she ended up with Beatpot Aelrin as her sidekick and, and priest? So just and, uh, just briefly, just just give us a one-paragraph a one recap of who Jariel is. Okay, Jariel is one of the... the uh, I'd say that there are... Four main characters that will be in this comic, mm -hmm. and Jariel is one of them. She is the incarnation of the Red Goddess, 
She is the daughter of the Red Emperor. She is the greatest hero or heroine uh, that the Lunar Empire has. And she is a, a, a demigoddess in every sense uh, of, the world, of the word. And a major, major figure in this comic book. And her sidekick uh, is Beat Pot. a Beat Pot Aelren, who is a former slave who led a rebellion against the Lunar Empire, was defeated militarily by Jariel, and then um, uh, persuaded or instructed by Jariel of what the Lunar Way was, and he voluntarily chose to uh, uh, dedicate his life to Jariel. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what happens in that chapter. And we didn't have, you know, there's, I had never written a story about that before. I knew what the basic facts were and had some pieces here and there. But then had to write out, okay, well, how do we present that story? Mm-hmm. And we do that, we're doing that right now with um, uh, the first appearance of Herrick the Berserk, uh, where we will be presenting a lot of things that, that, People know, you know, I've written some of the basic details, and Greg have written, has written some of the, the basic details, uh, but the specific details we never needed to write, and now we need to, you need to write it in order to tell the story. Sure. So, so Herrick is another one of these four major characters, and uh, I'm going to take a guess here, given it's called Prince of Sartar, that the <laughs> Prince of Sartar is... <laughs> is uh, one of the others, and that would be Argrath, who is covered in the first chapter. Yes, and then the next chapter will have uh, uh, Samastina, who is a Israelian noblewoman, uh-huh. and will be actually, for a lot of this, um, uh, a significant point-of-view character. And she also begins her rise to uh, become a major figure in in the Glorantan event called the Hero Wars, which is basically if you took the uh, um, the Iliad and the Bhagavad Gita and uh, Beowulf and through uh, uh, the Aeneid and through basically every hero from classical and ancient literature and threw them in one gigantic battle uh, that goes on for about 30 years. That's the Hero Wars. Yeah, kind of. If you put it in a blender and put it on and put it on, uh, cranked it up to eleven, and then uh, and then popped it in an oven and baked it, I think that's kind of what you're getting, isn't it? It's it's huge. Yes, it is. It is, and it's it's the it is the main uh, plot of Glorantha as a setting is as we enter into this this end of the age. Uh, we, we have this huge magical conflict that grows and grows and grows and grows and escalates further and further. Uh, and that's basically the, uh, the literary plot of the story we're telling about the Ramsey. And this is, this is real exciting, Jeff, because, uh, Glorantha, as presented in, say, all the RuneQuest products since uh, the the late 70s and so on, has always been talking about uh, this is the build-up and the lead-up to the Hero Wars. Well, finally, they have come. Yeah, well, and, and, and a big part of that was is that originally 
you got to play out a big part of the Hero Wars with the Dragon Pass war game, which is an awesome war game from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had a, a RuneQuest. And, and RuneQuest was a wonderful uh, role-playing game, but its its core engine was a, a, a society for creative anachronism, realistic combat engine, mm-hmm. which is great. Individual combat em- engine too, not not yes. not armies it's and so on. Not armies and such. It's great for doing uh, uh, individual sm- small skirmishes of the, you know, of the the, the classic group of adventurers um, running around the big rubble or uh, uh, dealing with yellow-skinned baboons in Sun County or 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 whatnot, but not a not really a great engine for doing this sort of weird mythic stuff. Yeah. And and that was a, you know, that was a problem. Uh, you know, for Greg spent years trying to figure out how to, to uh, do the Hero Wars using the RuneQuest engine, and I think for a while they came up with, what, Super RuneQuest? Yeah. For Hero Quests. Uh, they came up with a, an unpublished system called uh, the Epic, Epic System. Epic, yeah. And eventually, Greg gave up and hired Robin Laws to write something, uh, which is the Hero Quest rules. And what it does is basically throw away the idea that you're doing a combat simulator at all. And instead, what you're trying to simulate is the ebb and flow of storytelling. Yep. And that works much better for this um, and, and starts making it a lot easier to game your way through these type of stories. And uh, and, and, and an- another place where RuneQuest kind of falls down in the end is trying to have mega powerful characters as well at the individual level. And I think oh, uh, yeah. HeroQuest can capture that uh, more effectively too and... A case in point of that was um, we were thinking back to that book Strangers in Prax, which had uh, some very powerful characters, and I think that kind of took RQ3 to its to its uh, to its limits, didn't it? With with the Lunar Coders and then Arlatan, the the uh, the sorcerer. We were talking about that in a previous episode. Oh yeah, and 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 the issue is with with that was is that it was trying to use. Uh, the rules engine in a way that it really wasn't designed to do. I mean, RuneQuest was not originally designed to to model huge, weird, Steve Ditko-esque Doctor Strange versus um, uh, Darkseid and the gods of the new gods of New Genesis kind of magical battles. It was designed to be a a crunchy, realistic feeling um, uh, combat engine. Yeah. And when you try the uh, Hero Quest, uh, on the other hand, if I wanted to have a crunchy, realistic feeling uh, individual combat, and wanted that to be, you know, the center of 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 the player's fun, then Hero Quest probably isn't the right engine for that. Yeah. And and that's a that's a thing about. Um, Role-playing game systems is that you know not every system is right for every type of game, which is yes, why it's so great to have different systems that can be used in the same place. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, sometimes you want to run a game which is about mythic exploration and maybe grand politics and, and you know, crazy, weird, magical stuff, and you go, okay, Hero Quest would be perfect for that, because I don't need to actually, uh, I don't need to, to try to work out the engineering details of this, we can just go with it. Yeah. Uh, we may, another time, it may be just cool to go into the, to some old ruin in the big rubble, and steal stuff from a trollkin. In which case, uh, I would say RuneQuest is an awesome system to do that. Sometimes, you know, you want to be able to have cool magical powers, but also kick down the door, uh, kick down the, the door of the trolls and take their stuff, um, uh, after performing a hero quest. And then maybe, you know, 13th age is your, your, uh, game system. You know, it just depends on what, what the fun is that you and your players want to have as to what is the right rule system. Sure. So isn't it great that Glorantha, we've got uh, all these different rule systems that we can uh, we can plug into the place. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I think last week you asked me a series of questions. I did indeed, and this is related to another game system, the MGF rules. Maximum uh, game fun. Now, if, if yes, we... sir. Every time we do this, um, I always butt in with a, with a couple of last questions. So, so, so oh yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. So the traditional producer's last questions. Um, now, so did you say you, you had 33 pages up of the of the web comic? 31. 31. So, how many pages do you see getting up before you do a a book publication? Okay. What we're looking at doing right now is we're looking about doing a short promotional book for uh, Gen Con. So okay. it would be a limited print book for Gen Con that will probably have 35 to 40 pages, um, depending on, on, on how quickly we get through this. So the idea is, is to hopefully get through with the uh, White Bear chapter. And then what I want to do is I want to get through the next chapter, which is will be in the city of Doshit, and the chapter after that, uh, which goes to the city of Pavis. Ooh. And, yeah. So, and, so this uh, will be interesting, Jeff, because Notch, it's not really something that's been uh, explored or shown in great detail. So I think people are going to be really interested in that. And also, Samastina is... Of your four main characters, one that probably hasn't had as much written or thought or discussed about by uh, Glorantha fans over the last 30 years. So this is going to be really interesting. And then to go to somewhere very familiar, I think, is going to be a very a, a great yeah. way of flipping things around. And, and, and the goal is, once we have that done, then we will wrap it up, put it together as a, the first volume, and then... Uh, start on volume two, uh, which will include the cradle. Woo. Which, uh, if you're an old RQ player, you will remember the cradle scenario, but we want to include that into it. And then jump around, and, uh, at, at a certain point, the comic is going to be even less linear than it currently is. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, now, now, come on, um... 
you might not be prepared to say this in, in public, but in your head, how many volumes would you like there to be? How, how oh, I want to go. I want to go all the way. <laughs> I want to go. I mean, I mean, we 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 know we want to go. Um, we 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 know how far we want to go with the story, which is a big, huge, grand epic. Now, whether we will be able to do that, whether we will be able to keep doing this comic book for the next ten years, hmm. uh, is a fair question. Um. But we certainly have uh, easily ten volumes worth of ideas. Okay. Okay. How's that? Is that a fair answer, Robert? That that would be that would be epic. Uh, it certainly that, would. You know, my 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 hope on this is is kind of in the background of my mind is there was a there's a very very famous and awesome Japanese manga from the early seventies called. Um, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Yep, yep. And it's it's one of the most awesome comics that I have I have ever had the pleasure to read. And I would love to be able to tell that epic of a story. Okay, okay. Wow. So you said you had more than one question, or just that one, or was my answer just so good that it, that <laughs> I, it, it stunned I, you? I I think I could probably probably go on, but uh, let, let's get to the MGF questions. Okay, okay, and and Rob Rob has his uh, his bottle of vodka to finish too before we we wind up today. But metaphorical. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Mr. Mike. Yeah. The first question is. Yep. Nay, tell us about one thing. Yep. That you are significantly worse at than other gamers. Worse at? Okay. Um, I'm really bad at remembering rules. <laughs> um, you know, it's there's another way of looking at that, Michael. Yeah. Okay. I, I hopefully hopefully it's a better way. But anyway, yes. No, no, no. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. All right. I am pretty bad at remembering the rules of 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 different games. Um, I I started. I think um, probably the first role playing game I ever played was D and D. Like like most other people. And then we went on to RuneQuest in 1978. And a friend of mine didn't actually buy a copy of the rules because we couldn't get them at the time, but he did own a copy of Apple Lane, if you remember uh, that classic uh, scenario that I think was one of the first ones ever, ever bought out. And we did actually have one of the first ones that were bought out, and they were kind of done on sort of cheesy computer-type printout, weren't they? I'm trying to think what the process was. Yes, they were. Yeah. They, but, were, they were this terrible, horrible mimeograph. Yeah. And we actually were trying to figure out how to play RuneQuest just with the book Apple Lane, not actually having the rules. So um, I think I started off... Um, Reverse backwards to start with, and I think I've never gone further, further <laughs> since then. <laughs> okay, going, well now you're, you're like Merlin; you're living backwards in. Oh, okay. While, 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 while everybody else moves forward. Yes, yes. Now we know one thing that you're worse at. Yeah. What is one thing that you are better at? Oh, you know, I am very, very disciplined when I go to game conventions. Very disciplined. In fact. 
I have a rule about uh, when I need to go to bed so that I can be fresh and chirpy in the morning. And it is known as the mob rule. And it used to be, back in the 1990s, Jeff, it used to be um, I would go to bed at 3 a.m. no matter how much fun I was having. Oh, Lord, I, 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 I can't even remember those days. Yeah, interestingly, as the decades progressed, <laughs> the Bob rule we became 3 a.m. to 2 a.m. And then 2 a.m. to 1 a.m., yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this <laughs> this decade I'm kind of up to the Bob rule as I have to go to bed at midnight in order to be fresh and chirpy in the... Uh, in the morning. Look, it has served me very, very well. And there have been a number of times, I do remember, where I have taken myself off to to uh, retire for the evening, despite the fact that there might have been fun and revelry still going on all around. And that is because uh, you've got to be fresh and chirpy for the morning. And, and there have been very few occasions that uh, I have let myself down, I'm proud to say. I, I would say that in the years, that the, the last several years that you and I have been going to conventions together, it's been a very few number of exceptions to the rule. Yeah, yeah. And those exceptions are maybe one thirty. Yeah, 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 I guess you could say. And you know, um, the, the thing about Eternal Con is it's in a picturesque castle, and Castles aren't necessarily put in a spot to be picturesque. They're put in a spot to be defensive. And that means that the castle in Bacharach is on the top of a dirty great hill. And yeah. uh, one of the other things you want to do at EternalCon is the um, the customary, obligatory annual trip down to the kebab shop in, uh, in Bacharach. And that does involve walking down the hill and walking up again. And you really want to be fairly chirpy and fresh to be able to do that, don't you, You, Jeff? you need to be very chir- uh, uh, chirpy and fresh in order to make the hill. And the, there are two ways to go down the hill, isn't there? There's the quick way, which is very steep, but you can be suckered into going the long way. And believe yeah, me... Yeah, the long way. Yeah, it's no the good. The long way isn't worth it. No, it's not worth it. No, no, it's, it's, it's much longer. <laughs> It's much hard. It's much longer, and despite it being mostly a more gentle slope, it really isn't any physically easier. Yes, though you do memorably go past the cliff that my friend Andrew Bean fell down when we went to EternalCon one year, and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I might save that for another uh, another episode to talk about it in some detail. But oh my god, hey, I, I would have to say that. He made a couple of fumble rolls, and then he did actually make a couple of saving rolls. Yes, uh, he did. He, yeah. he, he, he made a save versus death on falling off the cliff. Yes, he was saved by having his buttocks um, uh, stop, stop <laughs> with a tree stump. I think that was very unfortunate. And fortunate. Okay, so... Um, next question. Next question, yeah. Next question, before we talk, spend too much time oh, talking oh, about Andrew, Andrew Bean's buttocks. buttocks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that myself. <laughs> all right, all right. Next question is, name or, or tell us about something that you are, that everyone knows about you as a gamer. 
or a gaming uh, I think they know that um, I like to, particularly in LARPs and things like this, I'm very happy to start at the top and work my way down. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, and the last question. I'll, I'll give, Sometimes... I'll give, I'll just give two examples of that is, um, I have started a game as the Red Emperor, for example, and it's fairly, it's going to be fairly certain that I'm not going to be the Red Emperor by the end of the, <laughs> of the game. And I think I talked about when we were, we were interviewing Ken Rolston that we were in a game where he was not Slaw the Holy Monk wearing a sheet, and, uh, I was in a Pope suit, and uh, he declared me anathema. And that was actually one of my favourite uh, moments in a LARP because I got out of that because being declared anathema by the holy monk is probably not a good thing. But um, I was the Pope, so I officially pronounced an, in, an indulgence and forgave myself and, <laughs> and made all the bishops kiss my ring. And uh, that's one of my proudest moments in LARPing anyway. I... Uh, uh... That was an awesome moment. But final question. Final question for tonight, it, tonight is, what is something that people generally don't know about you in a gaming context? Uh, in a gaming context, I think probably um, one of uh, one thing is I'm not really that interested in, like, you know, tabletop uh, wargaming and moving counters around and... And things like that. That's just not really my my scene. I'm I'm far more at the uh, the the th- the theatrical uh, role playing side of side of the thing. So um, if I've been in games that have that sort of element, I'm more than happy to delegate that to somebody that likes to be able to do that sort of thing. If it involves, say, moving units around a board or or something like that, I'm not a very good. Uh, tactical thinker for for moving armies around and and so on i'd rather do the politics of the situation and uh i think that comes from you know what i've done in my professional life as well (laughs) yeah 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 i i i think uh i i recall one time when uh you and i were playing in a gigantic reform that was basically a war game with some reform components added to it yep uh, you and I delegated all of our armies to very enthusiastic subordinates and spent most of the game sitting around uh, drinking beer and talking shop and politi- uh, politicking and just enjoying having our generals come with a, uh, disaster after disaster. Yeah, and it generally was, and that and that goes back to the thing that people do know but know about me, which is I'm more than happy to start my way at the top and work my way down. <laughs> well, there we are. Mob answers his own MGF questions. And at some point, we're going to have to get producer Rob and get him to answer these too, aren't we? But we've run out of time oh. again today. Yes, yes. Well, I... I... Go on, Rob. I, I think at that point I will allude to my uh, my my point about your um your memory of rules. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, you, you you might want to construe that as a threat, but, uh, but there, there's something that's been rankling in the back of my mind for about 15 years that uh, that will come up when my, when when my questions are asked. 
Ooh. Oh, okay. Well, now well. I can't wait. Now I can't wait to ask these. <laughs> well, I guess everybody, this has been another episode of Tales of Mythic Adventure. Tune in next week. Thank you. And that concludes another tale of Mythic Adventure, coming to you via download at mythicadventure.com and on iTunes. This was a Rabbit Hat production in association with Moon Design Publications. No ducks were harmed in the production of this podcast, but one Moricanth couldn't keep his thumb out of their soup. (laughs) 